good morning Chapel Street. Welcome to our Easter Sunday morning service. COVID's definitely made a different Easter for us as we're all gathered in our homes this morning and unable to meet together. I've tried sitting at the communion table behind us today. As mentioned, I said we'd try some different things, so I'm standing at the pulpit as usual. And then after this week, I think Daryl will be preaching next week, and then we'll have Sam the following week after. But here the church is still very empty. It's still the chairs all spread out as we had it for our final service. And as I sit here, I can imagine where people are sitting. I can see Warren and Bronwyn in their usual spot, or Hanson Trinity, where they would sit. And I can see the Reeses and Jared and Lucy and the Austrian miners down the back. I can see where people are sitting in the church, the Edmonds family. And so I'll try and visualise people here as I go. And if we can be mindful of one another as we gather this morning. So join with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come before you. Lord, that wherever we gather... We are one in spirit. We are one in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have your word. And we pray now as we open it and look to it that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would rebuke and correct us. And, Father, that you would train us in righteousness. And so, Lord, please go before us now. Help us to hear what it is you would say. Help us to be men and women who delight in Christ and bring glory to him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is a historical event. As we come to our Easter service today, we must remember history. And it's the event that's the most important day for us as Christians. We can remember Christmas, we can remember even Good Friday, but if there is no Easter Sunday, no resurrection, everything is in vain. Paul himself said these words, If Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is futile, your sins have not been forgiven and you and I are to be pitied. The resurrection is vital, it's essential. And that's why we must remember history because it's an historical event. We must guard that our faith doesn't shift to becoming a collection of abstract intellectual ideas separated from history. The truth that we have, the gospel, is grounded in history. Our doctrines are grounded in things that actually happened. And so an abstract philosophy is not a good thing for a Christian. We come back to what God has done and God constantly says to his people, remember, remember, remember. And so this morning we want to remember Jesus' death. And so firstly, we've got to remember that his death was like no other. That is the first step, because there's no resurrection without a death. And when it was around AD 33, it occurred just outside of Jerusalem. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. We're reminded in Mark 15:25 that at the third hour, that's 9 a.m., Jesus was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. And then Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 tells us at the sixth hour, that's the middle of the day, darkness fell over the land. That was a supernatural darkness. That darkness could not have been a solar eclipse. Jesus hung on the cross at the time of Passover. Passover is determined by the cycle of the moon. 
And the moon at that time is a full moon. And a solar eclipse requires a new moon. It was impossible for it to be a solar eclipse. But furthermore, eclipses only last for a couple of minutes. This darkness, we are told, lasted for three hours. Jesus has died after the darkness at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. He cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit and died. Then Matthew 27 also tells us in verse 51 that when he died, the thick curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. That was supernatural, another act of God. At his death, we read, there was a great earthquake that shook Jerusalem. Rocks were split, tombs were opened. We're told too that people were in awe and filled with fear because what they were witnessing was amazing. It was extraordinary. It was unusual around Jesus' death. The centurion and those with him, verse 54, had seen many people die. They had watched people die, but they had never witnessed a death like Jesus's. They knew it was unique so that even in their unbelief, they were forced to acknowledge that the death of Jesus was an act of God. So as Jesus hung on the cross and died under the judgment of God, the heavens above were affected, the darkness. The earth below was affected, the earthquake. And the temple itself, the place where people met with God was affected, the curtain was torn. Not only was Jesus' death the fulfillment of supernatural prophecies, it was also accompanied by supernatural events. Jesus' death was unique. God has done more than enough to draw our attention to this death, more than enough that we should wonder what is going on. Everyone needs to weigh up why did Jesus die and what is so significant about it, it should draw our attention to it. And the next thing the gospel makes very clear to us that Jesus was really dead. Verse 25, he yielded up his spirit. Which means his life was actually not taken from him. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And everyone knew that Jesus had died. Pilate knew he was dead. In verse 58, we're told Pilate allowed the body of Jesus to be taken down from the cross. He would only have allowed that if he knew that Jesus was truly dead. The soldiers knew that Jesus was dead. It was their job to take him down, to make sure that he was dead. And because the next day was a Sabbath, the order was given by Pilate for those soldiers to take his body down and to give his body to Joseph of Arimathea. And as they went to his body, we're told in John chapter 19, one of the methods that was used to speed up the death of someone on the cross was to break their legs. And so the soldiers went to the man on Jesus' right and the man on Jesus' left and broke their legs to speed up their death because they couldn't push up on the cross. But then they came to Jesus and what did they say? What did they find? He was already dead. There was no need to break his legs. And to make doubly sure, they got a spear and they thrust it into his side and water and blood flowed out. That meant Jesus was well and truly dead. His blood was no longer circulating. Things were separating in his body. 
Joseph of Arimathea knew he was dead. He held Jesus' limp body. He carried him and took him to a place where he wrapped his body, his cold corpse, his lifeless corpse. He then placed him in his tomb and rolled a big stone over the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary both knew he was dead. They were watching and they watched the whole thing. They witnessed what had happened to Jesus and they witnessed him being buried. Even the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus was dead. In verses 63, they say this to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, Well, he was still alive. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Let his disciples, let, lest his disciples go and steal him away. They knew Jesus was dead. They wanted the stone left in place. Everyone knew Jesus was dead. Those who knew Jesus as friends knew he was dead. Those who were his enemies, the Jewish leaders, knew he was dead. And even those who didn't really care, such as Pilate and the soldiers, they knew Jesus was dead. And so on that Good Friday, before the coming of the Sabbath, Jesus' body was laid in the tomb. So Jesus died on the day of preparation, that's day one. The next day was the Sabbath, that's day two. And we're now told, as we continue reading, what happened on the next day, the third day, the first day of the week. Leading up to the time in Jerusalem, Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples, his friends, be ready for the third day. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That had all happened. But then Jesus said this, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus even told his enemies that he would be raised on the third day. He referred to his body as a temple and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Jesus never took a wait and see approach. He never just said, let's see what happens, speaking to his friends and to his enemies. Jesus was bold. Jesus was confident and certain that on the third day, he would be raised to life again. And that's exactly what all the Old Testament prophecies said would happen to the one who was the Christ. This is the pinnacle of the prophecies. Jesus fulfilled one after the other. But this is the clincher. This is the one that must be fulfilled for it all to hold together. For Jesus to be shown to be the anointed one of God. An important psalm or prophecy comes from Psalm 16. And in verses 10 and 11 of this psalm, it says of the Christ, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see decay. And then verse 11 says, He shall walk in life again. He shall come before God in fullness of joy. He shall sit at the right hand of God forevermore in eternal delight. Though he dies, he shall live. 
Isaiah 53 says of the Christ. In verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Yet though he dies, verses 10, 11 and 12 tell us, he shall see his people again, his offspring. His days shall be prolonged. He shall be satisfied. He shall receive a great reward. He shall be strong and powerful. Though he dies, he shall live again. Though as we have come towards Easter and on Good Friday, we have seen Jesus as the suffering servant, the prophecies declare and Jesus declares that he shall come forth from the grave. He shall come forth as the King of glory. He has come forth as the one who will take his place at the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne in fullness of joy, with everlasting delight as King of kings and Lord of lords, bearing all power and authority. So what happened? Matthew chapter 28. I'll read the first six verses. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. That angel rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but so that you and I could look in and see the tomb was empty. Jesus had already risen. Jesus truly lived again. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the two Marys, saw Jesus alive. Down in verse 9, we're told, as the two women were running to tell the disciples what Jesus was alive, what the angels had told them to say, they met Jesus. Not as a ghost, but as a risen man. They fell down before him. They took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me too. And so the disciples, we read, saw Jesus alive. Matthew 28 ends with Jesus speaking to his disciples face to face. The Apostle Paul even, he was a man who hated the gospel. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. And yet Christ floored him on the road to Damascus. And he met the risen Lord and he went from a church destroyer to a church planter. People who were following Jesus believed he was alive. People who were against Jesus came to believe and know that he was alive. Many people saw Jesus alive. Turn, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul writes, starting at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of great of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, go and ask them, 
living witnesses, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And since his resurrection, his church has been growing. As Jesus said, it would be unstoppable in its expansion, spreading across the world from one generation to the next, from one people to another tribe to another nation, transforming thousands of lives and millions of lives as people come to know Jesus. The resurrection is real, it's historical, and it's got evidence, and it's transforming. And as that song goes, because he lives, I, we can face tomorrow. Day one, Jesus died. He was laid in the tomb. Day two, Jesus was in the tomb on the Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, the third day, he literally and truly and physically rose to life again. And so as we come moving forward, we've got to consider this. That is why I'm a Christian. Because Jesus is alive, Muhammad is not alive, Buddha is not alive, Confucius is not alive. All those men stepped into history at some point with a message that came and then they died. But the prophecies, the miracles, the history, the events of Jesus stretch throughout all of human history, all of creation. And the ultimate, he is living. Jesus rose from the dead, proving, showing he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. All the others are false hopes. Only Jesus leads us to God. And so seven quick implications that I want us to consider this morning in the light of the resurrection. Firstly, because of the resurrection, that means your sins can be truly forgiven if your faith is in Jesus. Because Jesus rose to life again, the payment has been made. We know it's been paid in full. God's wrath has been satisfied. Come to him or rest in him if you have already come to him. Knowing that your sins are gone. Knowing the price has been paid. Second, because of the resurrection, Jesus is alive now. As you sit in your homes, as I stand here at the church, Jesus lives. He's living. He's watching. He's hearing. We read in the Bible, he walks amongst his church. And so as we worship this morning, we worship the living God, the true God. Our Savior lives. We have a living faith. Thirdly, the right response is to worship him. We see in chapter 17, 20, sorry, chapter 28, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The disciples fell down and worshipped. That is the right response. To come before Jesus, to fall at his feet. So will we worship him? Will you worship him like Mary? When they, the two Marys, when they fell at his feet, will you be like Thomas, who when you see Jesus say, my Lord and my God, because that is the right response. The resurrection proves that that is the right response to Jesus. 
And I pray that as we gather in our homes this morning, in our hearts, in our minds, we are worshipping Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is our God. Fourthly, because of the resurrection, Jesus is on the throne. He said in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's because Jesus has taken his place on the throne that is higher than every throne. Jesus has come and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is right now. Jesus is seated and ruling and reigning with all absolute authority. He has absolute power over the devil. Our risen Lord Jesus has absolute power over the demons. He has absolute power over the nations. He has absolute power over the weather, over the climate, over everything, over the coronavirus, over everything. Christ is the supreme ruler of all who has absolute authority. The scriptures do not say he has lots of authority or some authority. He has all authority. And so this Easter, as we see the world around us, as we see things happening that we probably did not expect to happen, as we have anxious anxiety and we worry and we see things happening, we come before Jesus knowing he is utterly and fully in control because he is the risen Lord. Fifth, our risen Lord Jesus wants the world to know that Christ is risen. What we are celebrating today, this Easter Sunday, Jesus doesn't want us to keep this to ourselves. Verse 19, he says, Go, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And where does he say for us to take this message? The message of Christ risen from the dead to all nations, to every corner of the earth. That is the right response for us in Armadale to not stay silent, but to share it with our friends and our neighbours, to put something on Facebook today that will declare to your friends and to the world, Christ is risen. To call those who you don't know are following Christ, to call them that you can encourage them to come to Christ and know that he is risen. Christ, the risen Lord, is coming to us as the one who has all authority. That should give us confidence. That should give us courage. And he's saying, go, go, go. Will we go? Sixth, because Jesus is risen from the dead, he's coming back again. Jesus hasn't ceased to exist. He hasn't disappeared. Jesus is with the Father seated at the right hand. He has gone somewhere. So all he has to do is come back from there and he lives and he's alive today. And he says in verse 20, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is when he is coming back. The world as we know it, time as we know it will not continue forever. The scriptures declare, God declares that this age will come to an end. Are we ready? Because that is the day that Jesus will come and he will be coming to judge the living and the dead the resurrection proves that he is the one who will do that. When Paul preached the gospel to the unbelievers in Athens, he goes to the resurrection so as to assure people of a coming day of judgment. Acts 17 verse 31. 
God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The proof of a coming day of judgment is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The proof that Jesus is the judge on that day is that he is the one who has been raised from the dead. And our seventh wonderful implication is Jesus is our resurrection hope. United to Christ, our sins are forgiven. Death can no longer lay claim to us, which means that his coming, he shall call us forth from the grave. Having been united with him, we shall come forth from our tombs as well. And we shall live forever. We shall reign with him forever. We shall share in his joy and his glory and his bliss. Christ gives us our resurrection hope, though we groan, though life may be a struggle, though we have many challenges, this is not it. And death is not the end. We have a glorious inheritance, an eternal future, being raised from the dead with Christ our Lord. And so those seven things, remember, because of the resurrection, our sins are truly forgiven. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is alive right now. Because of the resurrection, we should worship Jesus as our Lord and our God. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is seated on the throne as the King at the right hand of the Father. Because of the resurrection, Jesus wants us not to be silent, but to take the gospel to the world. Because of the resurrection, Jesus lives and he's coming back again. And because of the resurrection, we too can share in a living hope of one day being raised to life again ourselves. How will you respond? How have you responded? We get several different responses in this chapter. We see responses of unbelief. We see responses of worship and we see responses of doubt. Let's consider the unbelief first. We see it at the end of chapter 27 when the chief priests and the Pharisees, they just do not and will not believe in Jesus. Even though the Roman soldiers had shared to them what had happened at the tomb, that an angel had come, an earthquake had happened. It doesn't matter what supernatural event, what evidence God gives, what prophecies are in the scriptures, they will not believe. They refuse to believe. Their hearts are hard. For them, it's not a matter of proof or evidence. God has given them all that they need. Rather, in the wickedness of their hearts, they are so hard. As we saw, have seen again and again through the Gospels. They will not believe because they do not want to believe. I pray that's none of us this morning. That as you hear the evidence, as you hear the witness of what God has done. That you are someone who persists in unbelief. Because those who persist in unbelief, you live in continual rebellion against God. Your sins remain unforgiven. And you're awaiting a verdict on that great day when Christ is judged, which will be one of condemnation. But God has come into his world that we might weigh it up, see and know that Jesus is the Christ. And we see here at the end, I only noticed these 
three words a few years back. But interestingly, in Matthew 28, verse 17, we see, And when they, the disciples, saw him, they worshipped him. But here it comes. But some doubted. I think we're meant to see clearly there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. The disciples had been fearful. They'd been in hiding. Christ had risen. They had come to him. And we can see there was varying levels of faith. Bible actually says God gives faith as he apportions it. But when Jesus looked at his disciples, some bold in faith and some timid in faith, he didn't panic. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't get, go hard at them. Jesus kept them all together. Because in the end, it's not the size of our faith that ultimately matters. God willing, our faith grows. It's the object of our faith. It's the one in whom we are putting our trust. And though we don't know which disciples they were that doubted, the question wasn't, how are they going to wrestle necessarily with that? The question was, will they take Jesus at his word? I think we've had many experiences in our lives where we've been asked to do something or to cross a bridge and we're wondering if that bridge is going to be able to hold us but we've been told it can so we start walking across it even though we're very nervous and then once we've crossed it we're confident i know that bridge can hold me and here we have these disciples some of them doubting jesus says take me at my word go and weigh up your doubts and what do we find as these men who doubted, those disciples, they went out, they said, okay, I'm going to take you at your word, Jesus, even though I'm doing it with fear and trembling. I'm going to go forth, I'm going to preach the gospel. And then as they acted on the word of God, as they preached the word of God, as they trusted, as they saw the power of the gospel, their doubt started to vanish. Their faith grew. Their confidence became strong. And so through their doubting, as they took the word of Christ at, at his word, their faith was strengthened. Their doubts were overcome. And so I pray this morning, if there's any of us who are doubting, we're not hardened unbelievers. We're not saying I refuse to believe. But we're still trying to get it all together. That we would know that Jesus isn't being harsh against us. But Jesus is asking you, take him at his word. Take one step, take two steps. And in time, you will know with all certainty that he is the risen Lord Jesus, that his power is real, that your relationship with him is everlasting. And so I encourage us this morning, if any of us are doubters, rest in the good shepherd and obey. Go and see and your doubts will be washed away. And then the third response of those is to worship him. And I pray that for many of us while we are gathering this morning is because we have come with confidence. We have left our old life of unbelief, as horrible life that was, we've left that behind. And we've come to worship Jesus. We've come to sing praises to him and to give glory to him as our risen Lord Jesus. We've come to worship him who was once was dead but now is alive. What do you believe? 
as Christians throughout the millennia, there's a summary of the essentials, you could say, of the Christian faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to read it now. And I pray that as I read it, and as I say we, that you can be included in that, that what I am declaring and reading, we can essentially be saying this together. For we are of one faith and one spirit. This is the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell, that's the place of the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and life everlasting. Amen. If you can affirm these words this morning, we can sing these anthems and hymns of the resurrection of Christ with joy, knowing our sins are forgiven. Your future, your future is assured. And Jesus, your Saviour, King, is coming back one day to take you to be with Him forever in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Christ lives. We thank you that he is with us always, even now as we're isolated in our homes, and that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. And so, Father, as you have provided the forgiveness of sins in Christ our Saviour, we pray that we would wake up each day to live for him as our King, that we would give glory to him, that as we are told here in Scriptures to do all that He has commanded. And Lord, that we would be putting to death our sinful nature, all the things that Christ died for on Good Friday, that we would be leaving that behind. That we would live lives that bring glory to You, Father, and glory to Your Son, risen from the dead, showing that He is Christ and Lord forevermore. Amen.